Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 12, Cabin. This episode originally aired on January 8th, 2013, so we made it to a new year. And it was written by J.J. Philbin and directed by Alec Berg. J.J. Philbin last wrote for Episode 3 of Season 2, Fluffer, and this is Alec Berg's first episode directing New Girl. He does do one more episode of New Girl and has directed 11 episodes of Silicon Valley, and he's also a producer and writer as well. This episode, Jess persuades Nick and Angie to join Sam and her at his boss's cabin for a weekend away, while Schmidt tries to help Winston get back to his roots as a black man. So when this episode started, I actually thought I hadn't started right at the beginning because it just cuts straight into just asking Nick to go to this cabin with her. And I felt like I didn't have the context that I was looking for because so I actually started it over because I thought I had missed a portion. But we just dive right in this episode. Yeah, this one definitely just jumps in. They're having a conversation. She's like actively packing to to go to this cabin and is trying to get Nick to go and we kind of find out how nervous she is and that's really why she's trying to have Nick come because she doesn't really want to be alone with Sam yet but then she's trying to make this like perfect weekend happen so she's having Nick come along and I just what Jess was using to really convince Nick was that they were like living the dream like doesn't he want to come and like living the dream was just like based on the types of relationships they had based on professions. So it was a little funny to see Jess kind of like go, you're dating a stripper, like, come on. And I'm dating a doctor, like, this is the dream. And for me, I was like, Jess, I don't know that you're really selling him on this. because <laughs> He's made it pretty clear. He's kind of petrified about dating a stripper. Yeah, but I also feel like everything she said, he was like, oh my gosh, really? Yes, yes, of course. And then she was like, so you're coming? And he's like, no. Like, he was, like, all into it, but no, until he knew the cabin was free. I mean, I just thought that was all sarcasm. I very much was like, oh, Nick's just pulling her leg. And that's where I was like, too, Jess is so innocent. Like, she was innocent when Nick's like, hey, what's on my armpit? Like, look what she did. And she's just like, oh, is that poodle hair? And you're just like, (laughs) Jess, like, you're so cute. And, like, you're inviting your male roommate and his girlfriend, yes, to the cabin with you and your boyfriend. But, like... It's so innocent to me how Jess isn't picking up on the sarcasm. And I mean, I really thought it was sarcasm from Nick and like everything. And she just genuinely wanted her friend to come, but like doesn't see any other like viewpoints of how that could look. Honestly, it probably was sarcasm. But like as far as how it would look, I was actually worried when they showed up. Nick says yes to going because it's free and he goes to go pack and then they show up separately which was also a little strange to me if they're all coming from the same place. I don't know why they didn't ride together, but when they do show up, for a second I thought that Sam didn't know that Nick and Angie were coming, and I thought the episode was going to take this turn where Sam thought he was getting this romantic weekend alone with Jess, and here's her roommate, and that was going to be the twist of the episode. But I was actually really grateful to see how cool he was with Nick. Like He didn't seem at all perturbed by the fact that there was another couple on their weekend together. No, he really didn't. And especially like he was trying to call out too that it was his boss's cabin and be like, hey, be careful. It's my boss's cabin. And other than saying it a few times, he really wasn't too concerned. And there was some damage done at this cabin. And I do not think that they left it in a nice, (laughs) nice way. No, taking out the trash does not a good guest make. They 
killed the power. They <laughs> drank all the absinthe. And even though Sam was going to throw it away and Nick takes it with him, that was somebody else's absinthe. Like, I don't think his boss expected them to, like, find all this stuff and just take it with them or do whatever. Like, I would imagine that the fact that the guns were locked away, like, these were things that Sam was not supposed to touch, and he did not seem upset that they were going through his boss's stuff. I mean, it was in the locked owner's closet, but also the guns were in the locked owner's closet, and that all of them just were like, yes, let's play with guns because they're toys. I was like, what? what is happening right now? <laughs> like, we're immediately just going outside to shoot these guns off and like actively just right outside the house, like the owner would be liable because the owner, those are his guns in theory, right? Like, and it was in behind a locked closet. Like the owner took precautions. So maybe he wouldn't be liable, but it is his guns that he owns in theory. So <laughs> I just like, I was really worried. And, and Sam, Sam at first, I was like, wow, he's so chill about this. But then <laughs> Sam's face that was the cutest cutest moment is Jess is just like you want to shoot guns don't you and Sam's face was like a little puppy dog type of look like yes please yes can I go can I go <laughs> it's so exciting I feel like that scene was tough for me to watch because I actually really like Jess and Sam together and I agree it was adorable to watch Sam have this like puppy dog face but their interaction was less like a couple and more like a mom and a kid, like just giving him permission to go have fun with his friends. And like, it's setting the stage for me that this relationship's going to be short lived. Like, even though, you know, they have a good episode or good time together, it kind of makes me feel like it's not endgame because I don't know, that's not the reaction I expected from Jess and her partner. I mean, Jess is trying to make this whole weekend like super perfect right and that's kind of her big mo and so she's probably not trying to like step on toes and so that's where she was maybe maybe if it was like jess who didn't care about making it a bad weekend would have been like hey i don't think you should go because because you know we all know that jess is totally fine sharing her opinion whenever she wants (laughs) and takes control how she wants But in this situation, I think she was just like not sure what to do with Sam, hence like having Nick and Angie there at all, because she's just comfortable with him enough, but not comfortable with like being herself around him in a weird way. And I don't know, because even she goes outside and it's so clear. It's so clear. Jess has never even been aware of guns in theory, because she's just like, yeah, hand me the boomstick. (laughs) Like, no problem. And then she starts waving it around, too. And the way she waves it around, like, everyone is, like, protecting themselves, like, ducking out of the way. Like, Angie's fine with it. Angie's just like, yes, let me show you how to do this. She, when she needs a backstory to, like, shoot at the can, Angie gives her the backstory that would work for Jess. And I actually didn't realize that Angie and Jess were, like, any sort of friends. But this little interaction made me feel like they – have spent more time together than just, like, the holiday party or something. Like, I I appreciated their – I wouldn't go so far as to say friendship, but, like, their comfort and ease with each other. And Nick takes it a step further, as always, and says how, like, Angie helping Jess is his nightmare and fantasy colliding. And I was just thinking, how many nightmares does Nick Miller have? Like, everything he says, he's like, that's my nightmare. And here's another one. (laughs) 
Nick has a lot of nightmares. Nick is like actively just scared all the time, but at the same time, like willing to just try weird things and do different things and be bold. But with Angie and Jess, like I, I kind of thought about this too in a different context of how you were like, oh, they must have had more interaction. And I was like, oh, that must have been the case too for Sam and Jess because I was like, why after they've just reconnected, are they trying to go on a camp out or like a cabin overnight? And then I was like, oh, it's probably because when we saw this in December and it was their holiday event that they were having, it's now been probably a month. We're probably into February or so at this point or end of January as far as the show's timeline. And I can't imagine that after we hooking up at the holiday event at the hospital between then and now, this is the only time that they've hung out or been together. And I feel like that's probably a lot of the pressure too, that just wanted it to be perfect because it was probably a next big step for them. So we kind of, they got together a little bit more and like we, I think they just then fast forwarded to this, like, okay, is this ready for the next step? Which if Angie's here, that means from that holiday party too, Nick and Angie have probably been spending a good amount of time together as well. And so that's where, and that's where, like, even at this event, they go, oh, we have an open relationship. And they talk about, like, how all the time at the cabin, they're having an open relationship. And I don't feel like that was ever super fully established for us in the show. I don't think it's been quite a month since the last episode, even in the showtime, because I think typically they try and align it pretty closely to when it airs, even if that's not quite what you'd expect and so like the halloween the thanksgiving episodes kind of line up to when in 2012 those events were happening so i think it's a little bit shorter than that but i do think they've spent some time together in between and you're right i don't think they've ever covered the open relationship status of angie and nick i think it was kind of implied maybe in the holiday party but again not something that like any of us as the audience would pick up on and I think the only reason they even brought it up here is to make Nick's meltdown and like him getting drunk make sense like they had to say all that stuff because otherwise why would it be a big deal that he had feelings for Angie because them being together would have explained that but um with Sam and Jess I think the other part of it is yes this is the next big step but this time around, it's also more serious because last time they were just sleeping together. They both were on the same terms and now they're both in the same terms again, but it's means more. And I think they even kind of talk through it in the episode where they say the first time they hooked up, Sam didn't even know Jess's real name. He thought he, she was Katie. So, yeah, I think it surprised me, too, that they were getting so serious so quickly but I guess if you've had that existing relationship and there has probably been time passing that they've been spending time together it kind of makes sense but it's still pretty quick honestly I mean it is it is quick and like maybe that's the level they wanted to get to with this cabin and so that was part of it but then like it was so quick that Jess was even so nervous so it just was I don't know Jess has just really been interesting in this relationship overall for how much she kind of wanted it and how much she's like really excited about it she's also nervous about it but like kind of coming back to the shooting and everything Jess shoots the power line because she got I was actually thinking I I kind of had forgotten this scene I did remember this episode and like the cabin and like how everything kind of played out with the absinthe and the drinking and all that but then I kind of was like, oh, Jess is going to hit a can. She's going to do it perfectly and hit a can. And 
nope. <laughs> I was really rooting for her to hit it perfectly to like almost show it in Nick's face and be like, look, I figured it out. I did it. And then no, she really, she really messed up. She messed up a lot. <laughs> Especially after he couldn't hit any of the cans, no matter how close he yeah. got. <laughs> yeah. But I actually didn't remember most of this episode. And so it felt really on brand for her to accidentally shoot the power. Like, why did she aim so far high when the cans were literally like below her eyesight level? But that's just <laughs> so she shoots out the power. And now they have to spend the night like in the cold because there's no electricity to help warm them up. And the next scene you see is Nick and Sam cuddling together under the blanket while. Jess is trying to hype them up about how this is going to be an adventure, and Angie eventually finds these sweaters and, of course, the absinthe. But I thought this little moment of them cuddling, like, everything in this episode, I felt like Sam could have been jealous of Nick. Like, why is he even here? Like, why did you invite him and not, like, Cece and someone that she might be with or whatever it could be? Like, Jess chose to ask Nick to be there, and Sam did not have the typical jealous reaction to it and even this moment kind of solidified that more for me because they had looked at each other pretty nicely when Nick first showed up they looked at each other nicely during the gun scene and then now here they are actually spending like quality time just huddled up together and I thought it was very very sweet to see no I love I love that they were cuddling too I immediately was like look at them they're on the couch under the blanket together like cuddling that was so cute and that was before the alcohol I was like you guys, this is real. Like this is, <laughs> this is a cute moment. But I, what I was thinking back to as well is how like, maybe Sam always had a good impression of Nick, but like Nick at the beginning, like the first episode with Sam, he's like, are you an idiot, Sam? And I just was like, whoa, <laughs> they've really, they've really grown from that first interaction of just like being kind of more friends now. And also Sam said in the holiday episode that like, he's not threatened by Nick or by Schmidt and so it's just maybe that's part of it maybe that's part of why Sam is so okay with it like maybe if Winston had come on this trip he would have had like totally different feelings especially with the fake Jess Jess Winston relationship but I just I did I was with you that I thought that was really cute as well that they were like trying to stay warm together yeah that's totally fair I think him not finding Nick as a threat might have had partly to do with it at least but like we said absinthe is the main player in this episode and Angie walks out with the absinthe and they're all kind of passing it around and cheering Jess on to drink it of course the only person kind of telling her no is Nick like Nick's always like looking out for her especially in this part and Jess takes like this long pull of the absinthe and then she's like I don't feel anything and then immediately her eyes go like wide as if she felt something and I was like it does not hit you that fast. Like alcohol cannot hit you 10 seconds after you finish swallowing the alcohol. Oh, Jess, like I I loved how they portrayed everything in this episode, but I was, it always bugs me when they're like immediately, they're like, oh my God, I feel it. I just have to say, and I know I've said in this podcast before that if um, the way that I drink is very similar to the way that Jess drinks and it's maybe not possible within 10 seconds, but it's definitely possible within like 30 seconds. <laughs> There's some alcohols that I know for me are just way too, too much, too quick. <laughs> I can only take like two sips and it's like a lot. 
So I have no grudge. I have no, I'm not holding nothing against Jess for her immediate reaction. I thought that was hilarious because I could, I could resonate with it. So, so personally, (laughs) she's like one sip. And also it wasn't one sip, by the way, too. It wasn't just like, oh, I took a sip of wine and it was like, oh, I'm drunk or something. This was absent. And she like downed a lot of it and they were like, oh no, oh no, please stop. Like it's too much, too much. (laughs) And so I I think that made total sense. For Sam though, like he also got really crazy, but like everybody had a sip of it. And Angie and Nick are just sitting there like, I want to be them. Like that looks so fun (laughs) that they were kind of like so gone on this absent stuff. And it just was so, so funny. I think my point is less about how much she drank and just how quickly it hit her because no matter how much you drink, it's going to take you 10 minutes and this was like 10 seconds, but they only have 22 minutes to do anything. So I get why they had to portray it like that, especially in a comedy, but I also didn't get why like Angie and Nick couldn't get drunk. It wasn't like they ran out of absinthe. Like Angie's watching them and I don't know if she's doing that because she feels she has to be the responsible one because other people are getting drunk. I do think that's how Nick felt because he even says like, I'm not the one who's drunk and that's so rare for me. I didn't get why Angie was just like, I wish I was them when it was totally within her power to just get drunk as well. Yeah, but maybe it was the fact that like, I don't know, the way I saw that is like, oh, I wish I was them is because they just, they were like so silly drunk, you know, because like Jess was even saying like word, word, word or word games, word games, you know, and she just was being really, really silly. And she also, my favorite, my favorite Jess line in this drunk moment was who wants to play Shrods? <laughs> I was like dying. And I know I didn't do that justice, but like that, like I rewound rewound is that even a thing anymore but I went back in the episode and watched that scene just to see that line because I thought it was hilarious and I just loved Zoe Deschanel being drunk from this absinthe and so that's where to me like yeah maybe Angie could have like drank more of the absinthe to get drunk sure like if she wanted to be drunk she could but like different people react differently when they're drunk and so I think what she was commenting on is just that like they were just two super goofy people (laughs) and they were going a little crazy and in a fun way, but not in a like intense anger way or I don't know, just kind of how she was observing them. That's fair. I didn't really think about that because I guess we've never really seen Angie drunk to know what kind of drunk personality she has. And maybe she doesn't have that kind of goofy personality drunk because her natural state is not what I would consider goofy. It's still funny, but just more of like a sarcastic humor, kind of like Nick's is. So I guess that makes sense. But I also really like seeing Sam drunk in that scene because he's totally out of it just as much as Jess almost. And you have to wonder how much more he had after Jess finished her long pull because he looks like you would think could handle his alcohol better than Jess could and he did not handle his alcohol better than Jess did not even a little bit but it hit Jess first and she's like I gotta go gotta go upstairs and it was a little suggestive when she went upstairs I don't know if you caught it but she's like I gotta go see about my bed because I think someone or it's like disappeared or like somebody took it or something and so she's like I gotta go upstairs and Nick instantly is like I gotta go help at first, I was like with Angie 100% where I was like, Nick has to help. Like, I don't even know why anyone thinks Jess needs some help. But like, okay, Nick has to help. And then I was also like, Nick has to help? Like, they're such friends. Like, of course Nick has to help. 
I was like the little, my little heart for a second. I was like mad. And then I was like, nah, I'm not mad. This is cute. (laughs) I'm so glad he's going to help her. For me, it was just watching Angie confirming with Nick that he was going to help and wishing him good luck. Like I could see her gears turning in her head. Like, okay, he's going to go help her. We're in an open relationship. They're friends. He has to help her. Okay, they're going to go hook up. So that's my cue to hook up with Sam, right? Like, and she's like, you sure? And he's like, yes. Like, what are you talking about? And it was so nonverbal, but I could watch Angie going through those questions and answers in her head. And when we saw her later trying to make out with Sam, it was like no surprise to me. I was like, this obviously was coming. Like, she thought Nick was hooking up with Jess and she was totally okay with it. So, I mean, true to their open relationship, it's nice that she didn't, like, expect anything different out of him or get worried that, like, this was his roommate and what would happen when she wasn't around. So it was it was a funny scene. I don't know that I took it exactly how you took it with as much of the, oh, Nick has to help, because I think that if Sam had been sober, he would have been the one going to help anyway. It was more of just who's sober enough to help Jess in this moment, and Angie wasn't going anywhere. Well, and that's definitely what Nick was thinking he thought about it. Mm -hmm. But then I definitely think he was thinking there was a subconscious part of him that was like, no, I have to go help my friend who I care deeply about, who I like sometimes. I will never forget that. I will never forget him (laughs) saying that at this point is like, we're just friends who sometimes like each other. I'm like, yeah, you're going to go check on your friend who you care about deeply. And so that, I don't know. I I just really, and I love Jess too, where she's like, the absinthe has found a new host, the toilet. I I mean, back on your your comment too of like, how are you instantly drunk from like one sip of something? And to me, both Sam and Jess, when they were like, oh, once they puked, I was like, and they're perfectly fine. (laughs) No residue. (laughs) They have no, they don't feel sick. They don't feel like they need to lay down. There's no instant hangover. It's just instant fine after being instant drunk. So that part I did think was a little funny. I was like, the body does not recover that fast. (laughs) Maybe it could get drunk that fast, maybe, but it can't get recovered that fast. Yeah, honestly, the scene of Sam puking into the fire was hilarious. I mean, I have been on record on this podcast that I do not like the puking scenes in this show, like Schmidt pukes and you just, I don't even want to talk about it, but (laughs) this was hilarious because you just see the fire like rage from, from the alcohol that he's throwing up and it was hilarious to watch but while that's happening you see Jess coming down and being so upset that Angie's coming on to Sam and like yelling at Nick to be more upset too because this isn't who he really is and even though he's saying like I'm fine like we are of an open relationship I have to agree with Jess like he is a relationship person we've seen him so happy when he's in these relationships and not so much when they're undefined and honestly Andy reminds me a lot of Julia and how that relationship came to be and the games they kind of played with each other leading up to them becoming a thing and of course this doesn't work out as well for Nick as Julia did for a bit but this gave me very parallel to Julia vibes. I could see that Julia was very like stark and dry funny, you know, where she just was like telling more witty jokes and more like making fun that way. And Angie is very similar and they have both like, while their professions are very different, they were both 
confident in their professions. And so like, I see, I can see how that they're related, but then it's funny, you know, I actually have to like side with Angie in this (laughs) when they came down the stairs you know, Nick even has his hands on Jess's shoulders. Did you see that or something? Like he was really trying to be like, oh, it's fine. And he like grabbed her shoulders. It was like a really, really brief thing. But it was like, Angie was so confused. And that's what I was saying too. Like at first I totally got Angie's thought process as well. Like she was thinking through it. And I just was like, okay, yeah, I was confused because I don't really know you people very well. And here we are at this cabin and we're like, oh, we switch. Like I could totally get that that's her perspective on things. And the weird part to me on that too was that Jess was mad at Angie and Nick because Angie was just hurting Nick. And so she didn't like that situation. But in that moment, Jess didn't seem to be like mad or concerned about Sam at all. And so that for me too was like, why, why are we not thinking about Sam right now? Like you had like, it was... I was almost surprised by the lack of reaction. I think I would have been surprised had Jess had like been mad at Sam because it wasn't his fault clearly. And he was super drunk. Like he kind of didn't know what was happening. And later he did point out to her like, Oh, Hey, remember I did that. I like pushed off a stripper, but like Jess didn't really say anything about it at all. And I was like, Oh, you just don't like, you only care about Nick in this moment and Nick's feelings with Angie and how Angie did this to him and how it affects you caring for Nick. Like that was, that was me. It just seemed really clear that Sam didn't really matter in that moment. So two things. One, you said you agree with Angie in the moment, like when they come down. And I have to say, I do agree with that. I The place I agreed with Jess is more of that this isn't what Nick really wants to be in, which he makes clear in later too. He wants something different. But I don't really fault Angie. I mean, I think there could have been more communication in confirming what her assumptions are. But I think it's very clear how she got to her assumptions. Like you were saying, you followed her train of thought. I followed her train of thought. I don't think that there's necessarily anything really wrong about what she did, except not communicating and making those boundaries with Jess and Sam a bit more verbal because she had already communicated boundaries with Nick. And to your point about Jess being more bad about Angie betraying Nick than like what she was about to do with Sam – I think there's an element of her being mad about it with Sam too. Like when Sam goes to pass her the bread, she's like, no, I'll pass the bread. I'll give you the bread. Like she doesn't want Sam and Angie interacting in that way. But it's not nearly at the level that she's mad at Angie for betraying Nick. And she's also mad at Nick for not verbalizing what he wants and needs. And I will agree with you that Sam seems like – the third party here and this is like a three wheel here I don't think she's not upset at all about Sam but it is not by any means the biggest thing yeah and that's funny about the bread because obviously that scene was like really silly with Jess like giving her bread and then literally taking her bread and Angie's like why are you taking my bread like (laughs) she's being like what the heck Jess like but so nice like Angie did that so nicely like why are you why are you taking my bread and you're just like That's nice, Angie. But I I didn't think about it that way with Jess, like not letting Angie and Sam have an interaction. I just thought it was Jess trying to be petty still with like being mad at Angie for still going against what is best for Nick. Like I really, maybe I just got into it and was like, that's what's happening here. And then I like clouded my judgment to everything else going on. But I just was like, Jess is just pissed at Angie 
maybe okay a little bit for Sam, but mostly because she's not being the girlfriend that she thinks Nick needs. And that's, I mean, and that's where Jess's control is coming out, right? Jess is trying to say, hey, I know what Nick needs. Nick, I'm telling you what you need. And Angie's not being that for you. And I'm upset for you. And I just was like, Jess, like, (laughs) let it go. Calm down. And you know what you say about clouding your judgment? I think that's probably fair for both of us because when I watched the bread scene, I thought her taking it away was like, you took my boyfriend, so I'm going to take something of yours versus you're not being petty about Nick. But I really think it could go either way. I think that there is something deeper between Nick and Jess, and you see it so many times through the show so far. You even see it in this episode. But Nick in this moment is still into Angie and he – shares his feelings and after getting really drunk and you know playing with a grape that scene was amazing Nick in this grape Nick the way he's enunciating when he's saying everything like that goes down in my top new girl moments for sure no that was amazing and like did you catch too he believes in UFOs I was like since college he had the poster I believe and I was like yes you do Nick Miller you still believe that is core to who you are who believe in those UFOs and aliens out there in the world. But then I was just really glad too. He was sharing his feelings, like you said, but then I'm really realizing I was, I had like a full veil over my eyes of what was going to be happening in this moment. Because I also was like, I knew Nick was going to get to a point where he was going to share feelings. And I was like, and he's going to say something about Jess and it's going to be awkward for everybody. And it's going to be a thing. And no, he just says he really cares about Angie and he doesn't like that that had happened earlier and he wants to be, in a relationship with her. And so I was like, Oh, well, that's good. You're sharing your feelings, Nick. Like, but then I think that's where Jess too, like helped him realize like, Hey, you want this. And so only when now he's drunk and like, can't control what he was trying to say or think he says like, this is what I want. But then he concludes this statement by going, Dr. Sam, if you were a hat, you'd be a top hat. (laughs) Which is honestly the best monopoly piece. So I am with Nick on that, but (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he would have gotten to that conclusion without Jess's interference. Like you said, Jess likes to control everything and likes to tell people what they need, even if they're not ready or even agreeing with her. But I don't know if this would have happened without Jess saying that. Like I think him breaking up with Caroline at the end of season one was centered around Jess finally giving her approval. So it'll be – Interesting to see if this trend continues, but we don't get to see a lot more of it with Angie because they end up going to bed. He's a lot less drunk, but still not sober by the end of the night. And they have this whole conversation and she claims to not be a normal girl. She doesn't want to do like the brunch thing. She doesn't want to read articles and talk about them together, which is completely fine. But they come to this conclusion where all Nick is asking is, don't draw pubes on my armpit while I sleep. And that is too much for Angie. Like, I was really sad to see him wake up alone. Like, I kind of expected it from the way the episode went, but I was just really sad to see that she couldn't try a little bit longer or, like, we didn't get to see anything about what this relationship could have been on equal terms where they were doing something a little bit more mature. In a way, I think this is a new girl switcheroo 
And again, I don't know why it keeps bringing me back to this control episode, because in that episode, you go into it thinking it's just Schmidt with the control problems. And then you're like, no, it is also Jess with the control problems. It's both of them. But in this, it's like Jess is nervous about being alone with Sam and having like real deep situation. And it ended up that Nick and Angie had a real deep moment and they were really sharing feelings. And that's where, yeah, Angie left him a note and she went left because she couldn't she wasn't really ready to be having the deep conversations and she didn't think this free cabin weekend was going to be anything like that like she just wanted to shoot guns and like get drunk and go crazy but instead it ended up being very much a moment of like defining the relationship with Nick and I don't think she was ready for that and I think she got scared and nervous so she left. So I don't think this is the end of Angie quite yet. Like, I think we're going to see her again, probably. But then I also am like, I, I get why she left. I, I mean, I'm sad that she left. I definitely, I was like, Nick is alone. Sad face. Like, I didn't like that at all. I was very sad for him to wake up by himself. But I kind of get it from her perspective. I wish they'd shown us the note she had written or like had him read it aloud because I was really curious to see what she would have said and he claims that she stole from him or took some of his belongings and I was really curious like what she took like was it actually things of value was it like just some pointless keepsake kind of thing like I was very curious about it but he seems genuinely okay which was very nice to see as well because you don't typically see someone that well after a breakup like after he and Julia broke up he was devastated and I think that we see a little bit more from him which maybe they broke up at a time where he wasn't super invested yet like he had feelings but he's able to grow I mean I think we'll see more hopefully next episode to see how he's really doing but I loved how he was just like I'll need a ride home. I don't have money but I can pay you a nick bucks in smiles and in one item from my bureau and I was still over here like, wait, Nick smiles? Like, what are you talking about? We barely say Nick smiling. All we need are some Nick bucks. And I was surprised he was offering smiles as payment. Like, please, can I have some Nick bucks, please? I would love that. Like, just smiling Nick Miller. And like, what would you get from his bureau? Like, now I want to watch his his dresser, essentially, and be like, what do you have? I would want to redeem those Nick bucks for. (laughs) Maybe a new section of the podcast. (laughs) items from nick miller's bureau (laughs) we can we'll document the whole thing one by one (laughs) but so now nick is like ready to go but jess is trying to comfort him and hug him and it's kind of awkward right it's kind of like oh you say you don't want to hug but i'm gonna hug you and she gets really close up to him and just is like around him and she's you know he's kind of weird about it but then she's trying to tell him like she didn't deserve you. And he like, that's finally the thing that kind of calms him down. And it's like, yeah, whatever that means, like trying to, he realizes that she's kind of building him up a little bit, because I think, I think that Nick wasn't instantly over the breakup, like no big deal. I think he just was probably self-talking himself to be like, it's fine. I'm not special enough. Or like, I don't matter. And like, she's too cool for me. Like he, he was already talking himself down, I'm sure in his head. So when Jess is like, oh, she didn't deserve you. I think that really made him, that made him a little bit more okay. I can see that too. I think we'll just have to see, since that's one of the last scenes we get in this episode of Nick, I don't really know how to judge how he's going to handle this breakup going forward. So maybe next episode we'll see more of the fallout and how it works. But with the Jess comforting him scene, I thought that Jess was both 
very weirdly respecting and breaking his boundaries. Like, he didn't want to be hugged, so she didn't actually hug him, which was very respectful for Jess. Like, I don't expect that from her. I kind of expected her to just hug him because she thinks she knows what he needs. But then at the same time, it was, like, still very intimate and maybe something he didn't want at that moment. And I feel like at the end of the day, it's something he didn't want but he needed. And so, like, in the whole, it doesn't seem like Nick was too upset with this whole situation, so I'm proud of Jess. But I was actually even proud that she respected the boundaries as much as she did because I did not expect it. I expected her to full-on give him a hug. And the moment itself was so intimate without the hug. And then Sam walks in and they kind of break apart. And I couldn't tell if it was kind of breaking apart because of Sam or because the moment was over. It was kind of 50-50 for me. Like, I felt like she was being there for a friend while being in a relationship with someone else, but very close to that line of just crossing over and being more. It was super close, super close to that line. Also on the line was Nick eating potato salad out of the trash. That was... That was way too much. Also, he's like, you almost threw out the absinthe. And he takes another swig. And I'm like, Nicholas, stop. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And he he ends the whole episode with, I'm going to poop weird tonight. And I'm like, that's a classic Nick Millerism. We don't have that section, but that would be the only line in there. <laughs> I'm going to poop weird tonight. <laughs> oh, Nick Miller. <laughs> but... There was just a lot, though, that happened. Jess, Nick, Sam, Angie, with all of that. But then in a completely separate storyline this episode was Winston and Schmidt. And really, Schmidt trying to, like, figure out who Winston was and, like, be a good friend to Winston. And what really kicked this off was Winston and Schmidt at the bar, Winston coming back from the bathroom and ran into a table of all Black people And he like instantly had some kind of mini conversation with them, which then made Schmidt be like, oh, I need to make things better. Like this one moment made it crystal clear (laughs) that he finally figured out something brand new about Winston. And as I saw the scene unfold and Schmidt's facial reactions, I was like, oh, Schmidt's going to make this a big deal. And yep, yep, he did. It was a very big deal. This storyline was interesting to me because... When Schmidt makes this a big deal, I feel like he has all the right intentions, but none of the right follow through. Like he goes up to, quote, white Nick and brown Cece to talk to them about this. And some of that conversation edited down for the comedy part of it could have been had with Winston and led to a very productive discussion. And this episode would have taken a fully different turn. Like I appreciated the comedy overall that this episode and this storyline provided, but In the real world, Schmidt definitely took it too far, but his heart and his, it comes from a place of genuineness and like wanting to be a good friend to Winston and making sure that Winston isn't code switching constantly and feeling like he has to suppress a part of himself for their friend group. But it takes away the onus of like, Winston deciding to do these things like Winston has chosen to live with them he came back from Latvia and came to live with them he chooses to be friends with them and Schmidt's kind of just like pretending none of that exists and it's like that's his only option kind of thing let alone the fact that his sister is also in LA or like on the LA basketball team and he has other people he could spend time with and I think one of the places he went really wrong was 
oh, like, I want to be your black friend because you don't have any. And it's like, wait, you don't know everything about Winston's life. Like, take a beat, Schmidt. Yeah. No, in that conversation Schmidt had with Nick and Cece, I just, I was really resonating with Nick in that moment because he's just, his initial facial reaction is just like a cringe. Like, what are you going to say to us after announcing to us, like, white Nick, brown Cece, like, Nick's face in that one second is like, Oh God, what are you going to say to me, Schmidt? And then really Nick makes the point of like, Schmidt, Winston's been black his entire life. Like newsflash, this is not new for him. It is only new for you. You know, like you didn't say it exactly like that, but it's like that for me is what I was kind of noticing. And so like, yeah, I'm with you that maybe Schmidt meant well and whatnot. When he goes in to talk to Winston, so now he's had this conversation with Nick and Cece And so he's like, I still got to do something about this. So he goes in to talk to Winston and Winston's like, I want to get Southern Indian food. And I just saw the wheels in Schmidt's head. Speaking of that, like these actors, right? They're so great because Angie too, earlier, like you could see the thought process go from one thing to another. And in this moment too, having the background of what Schmidt asked Nick and Cece, it's like, you can see the wheels turning with Schmidt and how this is going to progress for him. But the way the words come out of his mouth and the way Winston hears it, I'm just like, only Schmidt, only Schmidt can make these connections out of thin air. And there's so much, you know, there's so much happening in his head and it just doesn't come out that way. It made me think back to season one where (laughs) he was telling Cece he wanted to be her heroine and then was like Neil Young, yo. And that was one of the pop culture things we looked up because there's this Neil Young song that talks about the heroine and the damage done. And that was the connection. And I just was like, Only Schmidt. Only Schmidt will make those jumps, like leap year jumps to get to this point. So he's here talking to Winston and Winston's just like, I want Indian food. Like, what are you talking about? And he has to put together that Schmidt is actually just like, no, I need to help you with your blackness and like be a good black person for you. And I just was like, oh, Schmidt. (laughs) So frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. I do think he was really frustrating in those moments. Like Winston at least was able to take it and play with it. Like he was able to turn it into something fun for him. And he starts talking about soul food after Schmidt's saying that he wants to eat soul food and lists off some traditional Jewish meals that he craves sometimes. And so they end up getting ribs. And then Winston just goes in. Like he talks about how he misses doing crack with his mom and her mom and her mom and her mom and his cousin Peanut. And Winston is selling it not so well to anybody else that's listening, but to Schmidt, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is what you want to do. I I guess I have to do it. Like I'm gonna be supportive. I was speechless at this whole whole scene. I was also speechless. I did. That's where I feel like New Girl approached this very intense topic very comedically. And I think it's mostly because rather than Winston immediately trying to just talk to Schmidt, he's like, no, we're going to have some fun with this because (laughs) Schmidt is so gullible at times and just like takes things too far. And he thought he was going to make a point, you know, bringing up crack and like all this stuff. But then Yeah, literally Schmidt did not get it at all and went so far with it as we saw in this episode. But 
what I was thinking of when Schmidt was like really down for it and like ready to go to the projects to get some crack cocaine. I'm like, Schmidt, haven't you known Winston for years at this point? Maybe you're not Nick where you grew up with Winston in Chicago and you weren't childhood friends, but you know Winston more than just the two years that we've seen this television show. And even though he was in Latvia for a while, you knew Winston before that. Like, this is not a new person in your life. Also, you know Winston's mom and sister. We literally had them in an episode just this season. And even though we wanted to see more interactions there, like I know we commented on that, it was very clear that he had met his sister and met his mom before. And I don't know where Schmidt was like totally forgetting all these other people in Winston's life that especially his family that it's like, oh, that's what Charmaine and Alicia must have been doing every night because that's what Winston's telling me now. And I'm just like, Schmidt, you've completely suspended reality. So it was hilarious that Schmidt was like himself and totally buying into the story that Winston was telling and that Winston was selling the story. But I also was like, you've completely suspended anything you've ever known about Winston. Schmidt, like, seriously, I was, I was, I was getting mad. <laughs> I was like, what, why? But I also couldn't stay mad for too long because this whole episode just got so ridiculous because then they go out on the streets to find some crack cocaine. <laughs> they really do. And I think your comment about him suspending reality is probably spot on. But I think the thing is, it maybe does come in part through ignorance, but I think it also comes in part through his commitment to be there for his friend. And he is taking everything Winston is saying as truth and he's not looking at anything else. Like even when he starts to be like, oh, that's what you want to do. Winston takes it a step further, right? He's like, oh, you're making fun of me for doing this. And again, this was not Winston's background. That's not how he's ever portrayed himself. Like you said, we've met his mother. I can't imagine that being her background either. But I think that it's kind of a very gray area because I think Schmidt's looking at it as, oh, Winston's telling me this. That makes it true. Like it's from like a, almost a childlike belief of you are telling me something and I will believe you. And I think that sometimes like – it feels like he's never really seen Winston hanging out with people who are black that are not his family. And he describes it at the beginning of the episode as like being lit up and interacting in a way that was very different than he was interacting with the loftmates, which honestly could be very true. I mean, code switching is very real. And I think that that's what he was trying to just like show Winston you can be your full self around me and so he was putting any other thought any other like judgment any other okay is Winston messing with me here out of his mind and truly suspending reality like you're saying just to listen to what's going on maybe I'm giving Schmidt too much of a benefit of the doubt here but like I I truly believe that everything he's doing Again, super comedic episode, but from a very genuine place of wanting to help his friend and going about it in all of the wrong ways. All of the wrong ways. And you make good points. And that kind of gets us to literally Schmidt and Winston <laughs> driving to the projects. And Winston's originally trying to tell this guy, like, or tell Schmidt to go out and, like, figure it out because he really wants, like, to scare Schmidt in a way. I feel like he wants him to be, like, realizing what he's doing is so weird or like what the heck are you trying to do but then he has 
the guy get in the car. And I just have to say, like, the way that the scene is filmed and how, like, the reactions that are choreographed between Winston and Schmidt and then Robert, who we meet, getting in the car, I'm just like, the way this was filmed, the way it was delivered, everything about the scene is, like, perfect. It's perfect. And it had so many hilarious little, like, he said, she said type of moment of, like, wait, did you want, oh, is this what's happening? And so that kind of brings us to our Schmidtism. And we just had to do this scene where they're first arriving to get crack and Schmidt is trying to get the attention of Robert, as we know. And we're going to have Kritika be Schmidt and I'm going to be Winston. Well, I suppose we could just get out and ask any of these street youths. I'll let you get out of the car first. Go ahead. Do your thing, ma'am. I don't want to ask the wrong person and end up with some subpar crack. I want the fresh crack, you know? Not some crack that's been laying around all day. Ooh, I'm really starting to schwitz. We don't have to do this. Man, we could just turn this car around, forget this ever happened, and get you some frozen yogurt. I will not let you deny who you are any longer. Not on my watch. Schmidt. Hey, psst. Schmidt, no. Yes. Ski you? Ski you? Schmidt. You, dude. Don't call that man to this car. Hi, how are you this evening? And then we meet Robert. <laughs> but oh my gosh. Schmidt, ski you. Your ski you. I couldn't keep it together. It's <laughs> so silly. Only Schmidt. What are you doing? <laughs> We've got the return of the street youths. We've got this hilarious scene with Robert where all the wallets are just thrown up and everyone thinks everyone's getting robbed. And then he comes back for his wallet and they jump again. <laughs> it was it was truly a hilarious misunderstanding. Like this was so, so good of a scene. It was a hilarious, hilarious misunderstanding. I I mean, this is what made this whole topic to me worth it because of the scene, because this really landed it and landed this whole conversation. Because then, you know, they go back to the loft after that. And I think that comedic moment, plus Winston trying, finally telling Schmidt, like, hey, being Black means whatever I want it to mean. And that's ultimately all that it can be, you know? So Schmidt doesn't have to work at it Winston's in control of what it is and what that means for him. Which is why this whole storyline of Winston and Schmidt are, are in the 2020s. So with our not in the 2020s, you know, it's the way Schmidt's phrasing things. It's his, like Kelly said, kind of his like suspending reality of like what Winston's background is. It's him saying, I want to be the black friend you never had, both from what he's actually saying and from assuming that Winston doesn't have black friends or when he's talking to Nick and Cece, talking about how he met some members of his own. It's just a lot. Like, again, I really do think Schmidt's coming from a genuine place, but that doesn't excuse a lot of what's not in the 2020s in this episode. Yeah, and as we've seen with Cece and just others in the show schmidt is is the character that is kind of pegged for having these funny but very pointed racial comments and no and no understanding of like racial sensitivity so yeah kind of he was definitely are not in the way that he approached this but 
what was really the yes is that it kind of allowed for a comedic and frank discussion about race. Yeah, the way Schmidt tried to create an open environment, though he went about it, we've said couple times now all the wrong ways the fact that he wanted to create that space for Winston was definitely a yes for us and I think this whole storyline really becomes a yes in the 2020s because having this on screen being able to have these conversations and Winston's comment like Kelly mentioned saying being black means whatever I want it to mean being able to have that on tv and the storyline was a yes in the 2020s for us as well yeah and Lastly, not related to the Winston and Schmidt storyline, is also a yes moment for Nick to really share his feelings with Angie and really make that known. It's definitely not like Nick to be so open like that. And maybe as we were saying, as from the encouragement of Jess, this really motivated him. Plus, you know, the alcohol (laughs) that he was drinking. But it was good that we thought it was important for Nick to just go out there and share his feelings and not just suppress that down, especially after just knowing Nick's storyline and what he's all been through with other relationships. So we thought this was a big moment for Nick and just kind of a yes thing to do in the 2020s. And that kind of leads us to our pop culture segment. And first, we're going to be talking about absinthe. And so while absinthe is just an alcoholic beverage part of what made it pop culture to us is just kind of how they approached this alcoholic beverage in this episode and so angie finds the absinthe in the owner's closet and jess's initial reaction is it's killed so many of our famous painters and then nick is just calling it the green fairy and there's throughout all of the cabin scenes just a concern about drinking too much absinthe and not like in a way that I think is more pronounced than just drinking a lot of other alcohol. Like drinking this alcohol specifically was very concerning. So to get into a little bit more about what absinthe is, it's an anise-flavored spirit derived from plants, which includes flowers and leaves of the Artemisia absinthium. And that is mixed with like sweet fennel and other medicinal and culinary herbs. And so And over time, this has been portrayed as more of a dangerously addictive psychoactive drug and hallucinogen. There's actually, too, a chemical compound, thujone, which is also kind of known for having harmful effects. And it's kind of funny, back when this was, when absinthe was most popular, it really was portrayed as being the scapegoat for alcoholism. So it actually was not even called alcoholism in the time. It was called absinthism because people just associated absinthe with all these bad, harmful reactions. And that actually led to absinthe being banned in many countries around Europe and in the United States. That was in around 1915. And it was just deemed to be more dangerous than any other spirits. But then only in 2007, so almost 100 years later, did the United States Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau lift the ban and they said, well, it's mostly approved for the U.S. market. And recent studies have actually really shown that there's really no psychoactive properties the way that it used to be believed back in time. And it's kind of just exaggerated. It's really just the alcohol content and just high alcohol content that is really the cause of the dramatic reaction to absinthe. And so 
that's why I think in this episode, they were so concerned about all of that is because that's really just like the myth behind absinthe and like just some of the history there. But then it was kind of funny with Jess's initial reaction of just has killed so many famous painters is in the 19th, the late 19th and early 20th centuries, there were very prominent absinthe drinkers that were including some painters like Edgar Degas, Vincent van Gogh, and some other literary figures like Oscar Wilde and Ernest Hemingway. And all of these people were pretty known for drinking absinthe regularly, but they weren't really known to have died from absinthe as their cause of death. I mean, we talked about Ernest Hemingway. There was other things at play there. Maybe absinthe did play a part. We don't know that for sure, but we didn't really find anything super poignant to fact check Jess's point on absinthe. Yeah, I think maybe when Nick was drinking his writer's fuel in that episode for Ernest Hemingway, he didn't have absinthe, but maybe from now on he's going to keep that bottle so the next time he wants to feel like Ernest Hemingway, he's going to have some absinthe with him. <laughs> would be It would be a funny episode to see him drink the absinthe again, trying to write. <laughs> And the stories that would come from that. But our other pop culture reference is the Smurfs. Because when Schmidt and Winston are talking, Schmidt says that Winston has the body of a Smurf. And the Smurfs are actually a Belgian comic franchise. And it's centered on this fictional colony of these small blue humanoid creatures. And they live in these mushroom-shaped houses in the forest. And it was created back in 1958. And there are so many Smurf characters. There's actually over a hundred, and each of them have their own names based on their characteristics or personalities. So there's Papa Smurf, or there's Jokey Smurf. And of all those hundred or more than hundred, there's only three females, and the first one of whom was named just Smurfette. The word itself comes from the original Dutch translation of the French word. Shroomf, which I'm sure I pronounced incorrectly, but it was a word that there was invented with a fellow cartoonist when they couldn't remember the word for salt. So there isn't like a direct word that it means or Smurf doesn't have its own actual meaning. But the franchise has grown so much in the last 60 years. And it's gone from that comic into advertising, films, TV series. There's ice capades, theme parks, video games, dolls. There's so much for these little gnome-like characters. And they all look pretty much the same. They're short. They have blue skin. They have these like white trousers and they have little holes for their tails. And one of the most characteristic things about the Smurfs is they replace any noun or verb with the word Smurf. So they might say instead of like, we're going surfing today, they will say like, we're going Smurfing today. And this whole Smurf thing was so exciting for me to see that Winston was called this in New Girl because this was a show that as a kid I was obsessed with. Honestly, even in college, I actually had some of their full films with Neil Patrick Harris that came out in 2011 and even some of their short films that they have with like the Christmas Carol one. And so it was really funny to see that being referenced here, but also Schmidt referring to Winston as having the body of a Smurf. Do we have a reason why Schmidt would have called him that? Because Winston is not blue and he is not short and he does not wear a hat very frequently. I was very, very confused by this by this reference here, but I'm, I'm glad that they did make the reference so that we could talk about it. But it just was a little funny of Schmidt to say this about Winston. 
Yeah, especially because the actor Lamorne Morris and the actor Max Greenfield are about the same height. So it's not even that he was trying to say like, oh, you're so short and like you are like a child. They're the same height. And so I think that's especially just Schmidt being Schmidt, just throwing words out there just because. Just, just because. (laughs) But getting into the guest stars of this episode, we're not going to talk about David Walton or Olivia Munn, who plays Sam and Angie, because we have discussed them in previous episodes. But we're going to talk about Robert today, played by Javier Calderon. And he was in the TV show Nip Tuck, but also one episode of shows like Shameless, Party of Five, 911, and did some movies like The God Project, The Holy Man, Robot Wars, and recently Paradise Cove and Twisted Twin. Javier was born in Hato Rey, Puerto Rico, and he moved from the city of Toa Alta with his parents and older sisters to the United States when he was four. He is currently in Hollywood or Los Angeles trying to be more in the movie and acting business. But then he, for his role, one other fact about him is that for his role of Joshua Holden in the God Project movie, he actually like gained and then lost about 100 pounds of weight. So he just and is very committed to the roles that he does end up getting to play, as we did see in Robert. He was a very fun character, and I thought he portrayed it really well. That whole scene was amazing, but he did a great job as Robert. In our trivia and fun facts segment, though, we did want to touch on the word that Schmidt used to tell Winston what he wanted on his frozen yogurt. So first he says the chocolate and vanilla swirl, but then he goes on to clarify that he actually wants strawberry with Jimmy's. And Originally, we picked this word up because it is a colloquialism. It means sprinkles for those who aren't familiar with the term. And I've actually never heard that word used other than sprinkles until maybe college. And it's a New England or Eastern U.S. colloquialism. And it refers to typically chocolate sprinkles, but really any sprinkles in general. And so we went to look it up just from the fact that it's not a word that everyone even in the U.S. uses. But it was interesting to find that when we looked it up, a lot of the articles we were finding was about whether this term actually came from a racist root or not. And now the conclusion that really came to for everything was that it doesn't appear to have come from a racist root. But knowing that it was specifically used for chocolate sprinkles is where that confusion or that further investigation came from. So there are a few articles that we can link based on the etymology of it. And there's even a book called Word Myths, Debunking Linguistic Urban Legends, where the author took a look at the specific word and established that there were no evidence of racist intentions in the name. But because it's not very clear where exactly the term came from, it's still something that comes up frequently. Another fun fact that we noticed was... Only a few months after this episode aired, the movie Drinking Buddies came out, which Jake Johnson was also in. And in that movie, two couples go to a cabin for a weekend and they essentially do trade partners in that movie. So it's funny that he did this episode where they didn't actually switch, but then actually did a full movie with a similar plot where the couples did actually switch off on partners. You all know that I love making connections to 500 Days of Summer just because Zoe Deschanel's in it and there's really no other reason to make connections to that. And that I feel like is the same thing here where it's like, 
here's an actor playing characters doing similar storylines. And it's always fun to just try to make those connections, even when there is none. So that's kind of funny that that happened right after this episode had aired. Also, another fun fact that we found and read about is that the cabin that they go to in this episode is actually the same cabin from the office in season eight, episode 20, where Andy drives to his girlfriend's friend's bachelorette party to break up with her. So if you kind of look at the two episodes, it's a very similar scene because it's the same cabin. It's interesting that in both shows, there is this like breakup happening too. So not necessarily the same plot in this one as compared to the drinking buddies, but it's nice to see that they're reusing kind of sets and and these cabins are being reused. So it's not just set up for one episode and it gets to be used for more. What if Sam's boss is Andy's girlfriend's friend's dad. (laughs) It could happen. Stranger things have happened. (laughs) I mean, stranger things have happened, but I don't think there is a crossover for these two. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Many years apart, but a missed opportunity. For our ratings and favorite characters, we do note IMDb rating of each episode, and for this one, it was a 7.8 out of 10. The audience viewership when it aired was 3.78 million in the U.S., And for my personal rating, I gave this episode an 8.5. I liked the humor. And it was, and honestly, a lot of this humor was just like silly stuff and like a a conundrum of moments of like not understanding and miscommunications. And it just made it really funny, both in the cabin storyline and with the Schmidt and Winston storyline. And just when things don't get communicated well, they get really funny. So I I did enjoy this episode. I liked what they reviewed. I liked just, again, I'm fully, I'm, I know I do it. So I was looking into the Jess and Nick moments together and thought that that was probably way more than it probably was. And I just was seeing what I wanted to see. Very true. So I give it a little higher rating. For me, it was an eight out of 10. So a little closer to what IMDb had rated it. I thought this was a great episode. Most episodes in season two so far I have really enjoyed. But after seeing the last couple, for me, that was a lot funnier and a lot better to go through. So it was a little bit lower for me. And Schmidt was my favorite character because at the root of it all, he's just such a genuine guy trying to make the right moves, even though he's taking the wrong steps. And to show his commitment and wanting to make that space for Winston, I thought was really memorable and also just some of the one-liners he has in here and the whole wallet scene when he's getting crack cocaine because he throughout the entire episode calls it crack cocaine and it was just hilarious to watch schmidt schmidt was really funny in this episode but i went with jess i just thought her drunk scenes and the way she supported her friend was just really special and so i was just really team jess in this episode and Thought she was super fun. And that wraps up everything for this episode but the spoilers. So we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our podcast, whether this is your first listen or you've been listening to us since the pilot. And if you enjoyed it or found it interesting, please give us a rating or leave a review wherever you're listening to this now. We'd also appreciate any feedback you have. So please feel free to shoot us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or you can find us on social media on Instagram or Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod. 
So if you don't want to hear about any future storylines, you now have five seconds to pause. And if you do, we'll chat again next week. Getting into our endgame couples, we always start with Jess and Nick. And this episode, we gave them a 6 out of 10. That last scene that she was not hugging Nick and the fact that Angie even thought they were switching because Nick and Jess were going up together, they really had a lot of chemistry. I know Kelly really read a lot into a lot of their moments as well with Jess being mad at Angie. But at the end of the day, Jess and Sam did seem pretty good in this episode. They kind of talked things out. They also seemed to be happy together, and Nick and Angie just broke up. So that's why it was about a 6 out of 10 for us. And with Schmidt and Cece, Cece was in this episode for like all of 30 seconds when Schmidt was wanting to talk to her about getting opinions about talking about Winston. And really from that moment, there was no interaction other than Cece wanting to leave. There was no personal conversation there, so we gave them a 0 out of 10. And then for the douchebag tracker, this one was kind of hard. As you probably heard through the discussion, Schmidt's genuineness in what he's saying makes it a little hard to judge how douchey he's being. So we settled on a 7 out of 10 for this. I think it could have been higher if there wasn't too much genuine impact behind what Schmidt's saying. But also, it can't be lower because the things he was saying earned him jar. They just didn't call him on it. And so for us, this was a 7 out of 10 this episode. So that really wraps up our podcast on episode 12, Cabin. And Critique and I really just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode. And we love your feedback. We'll say it again. So leave us a comment. Send us an email. Who's that girl pod at gmail.com or just follow us on Instagram or Twitter at who's that girl pod to get updates about all our next episodes airing. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Thanks.